Join us as we cover many an insane movie and numerous cult TV phenomenons. Are you ready to get jacked up? Are you with us? Then listen on. Star cast. It was the most want to do an episode about actor known as Gary Oldman, and here to join are Liz and Heather from Nerdy Bitches. Hello. Hello. Uh, one of the best podcasts covering books and movies. We got Jonathan Mark from the Action Elite. Hello, everybody. All right, and we got JJ Bruno. Hello, everybody, and welcome to tonight. Yes, it's going to be a wonderful <laughs> night. Tom Lindemann, hello, Misty. Hi, <laughs> ah, I'm Troy McClure. You remember me from such Facebook groups as Riff Picks. Yes, riffing photos for a living. Well, not that last part, but riffing photos. <laughs> and we got David German. Hey, good evening, everybody. He might have sniped you on Red Dead Redemption Online, but can't confirm. I usually just run away. <laughs> <laughs> and then we got the Nightmare Nerds and former House of Torture Stoles blogger Daniel Nightmare Nerd Ryan. <laughs> yeah, everything's fellow horror fanatics. Yes. All righty. This is as cramped as it's ever been, but that's okay. We need all the extra muscles we can to tackle a very bizarre and uh, scene stealing actor. So. <laughs> it's a party. It's a party. <laughs> Where's the booze? Film like mud around here. So what, what made you say that he's a bizarre actor? Because like, just I mean, the, char- the characters he plays. Not not. He's kind of the straight man in a lot of things, though. He's, he's certainly very intense. Actor. Uh, okay, so <laughs> I don't want to say over actor because that's Shatner's job. But I mean, just <laughs> if you've seen yeah. Romeo is lies bleeding and some of these other ones, like. Uh, John will definitely mention some of the more over-the-top ones he's done. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, I think the thing with, with Gary Oldman is that he does play a lot of characters, and he really takes on the role. And so he looks completely different in every movie he's ever in. So you spend 75% of the movie going, is that Gary Oldman? Like, you're not 100%. Like, once you finally get it, then it's it's done. So Absolutely. And us stupid Americans, we had to slowly realize not every... British person or Scottish person has to look or sound like Anthony Hopkins or Sean Connery or Alan they Rickman. do though it really should <laughs> it would make things easier Sean Connery <laughs> good day he reminds me of Alan oh. the way he takes on a role Gary Oldman Hello. He, he's like Sir Alec Guinness right Yeah. he gets to yeah. be in a Hannibal movie and he's not even playing Hannibal <laughs> mm-hmm. Oh man, I know. I did not realize that was him. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. Like you don't, you you get way through the movie and then go, oh, 
Cordell? Dracula. Okay. Cordell? Huh. Cordell! Why was he uncredited <laughs> in that? I think he wanted to keep it a secret or some stupid bullshit, even though yeah. I think the trivia said that they restated his credit for the DVD release, so it's like, what's the point? They're gonna... <laughs> mm -hmm. it, it's a... People most often don't do what we movie mongers do and, you know, look at the entire IMDb listing, so... <laughs> <laughs> Well, then I they're not trying hard enough. <laughs> right? <laughs> they're the same people who take their kids to R-rated movies and wonder why they have to walk out after 20 minutes. It's like, oh my god, the there was a single commercial that didn't say rated I thought Deadpool exactly. would be for kids. Right. <laughs> there totally wasn't anything inappropriate in the trailer. I mean, I No, yeah, I was like, oh, uh-uh. I Stop. thought Hostel was a good family Thank movie. <laughs> <laughs> I thought Hostel yeah. and Witch Hunters was a family movie. Right, Vin, Vin Diesel yells family in every Fast and Furious movie. It must be a family movie. Mm. I thought Caligula <laughs> was going to be a buddy, but I was wrong. Right. Those bastards, they <laughs> lied to me. Um, so, I'm going to, since they are the featured guests, I love you guys all equally, but gotta <laughs> let Liz and Heather uh, mention the first love two roles. That's a little more. It's fine. <laughs> I'm used to being ignored. Oh, stop. <laughs> we love you, dude. Who said that? <laughs> Who didn't say that is a better question. <laughs> Thanking it. Um, so uh, this is in no chronological order because we don't want to be too subjective. So I'm going to let Liz and Heather just, you know, Liz will pick one. Heather will pick one. Just mm -hmm. uh, pick a I'll let I'll let Heather go first because she's the bigger fan, I think, of the two of us. Um, oh. I'm a huge uh, Gary Oldman fan, but... Since my favorite movie of all time is one of his <laughs> movies, I'm going to have to go immediately with The Dark Knight. Oh, okay. Yes. okay. That's Commissioner Gordon, yeah. Yeah, and... I, and I mean, we met him the movie before, but we really got to know Gordon in this, uh, in Dark Knight. That's so true, because, I mean, he's, you know, last time was kind of just a featured cameo, along with Rector Tower in the first one, and then... Here, you know, he's having to flat out be the by-the-book cop. He shouldn't even be allowing this vigilante to beat, you know, this psychopath senseless in areas. Yeah. Well, and he he does a big, uh, the, his character arc in that, he has a big pivot at the end of that. And, uh, yeah, and it's really, yeah. it's beautiful. I mean, it's just the greatest movie of all time. It's the goat. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's definitely around the time where he starts doing voiceovers and other supporting roles and i think it is interesting how out of all the intensity you know that you're seeing from all you know free leads you know Eckhart bell uh ledger and then all the other supporting actors and he's very restrained surprisingly but also it, like he leaves the shouts for like when they really matter like near the end like everybody manhunt manhunt <laughs> shit he's rolling out the dice <laughs> Yeah, I, I really like him in The Dark Knight as well, it, because it did build on the previous one. And then the last one, which was sort of a disappointing, but you can still kind of see an evolution. Gets to lead an army. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, the, and being a Batman fan, I, <laughs> I've seen the, the comic version of Jim Gordon. I can see a lot and feed a lot of the same emotions from the comic version to what Gary Oldman brings with there's, there's a little bit of mystery in there. There's a little bit of why is he so driven to do this? He's a fraud right. man. 
but he's also a, a very dedicated man at the same time. So, and that yeah. has really come out. Uh, what, what, what's your take on uh, each time he always, you know, has his bit of dialogue with Batman when he motions him for the a signal? <laughs> you know what? If I could like flip a light switch and get somebody to show up and do my job every day, yeah. totally, <laughs> totally would. The commissioner, you better make my life easy, man. Yeah. It's, it's pretty sad though like when he really the only person he can trust is somebody that's not even on the force yeah see it's, it's the yeah. vigilante sociopath weirdo in a bat suit yeah exactly Social it's commentary. still better than the average Gotham <laughs> cop yeah mm-hmm. right but in another life batman would be essentially no better than all the ross pros and trumps of the world and here he is you know busting his ass every day and everyone's like i don't I, notice why he's limping I, I think if uh, Bruce Wayne had been poor, he would have turned out to be Rorschach from Watchmen. Oh, that's Ooh. a very good parallel. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And if he had gone to, been drafted into any kind of war, he would have been the Punisher. And mm, he fortunately yeah. wasn't that. <laughs> yeah, but I don't think he has the capacity to love. I know they say no. that, but no. he doesn't. So He's a sociopath. That he really, really is. Married to his work. I can talk, right. talk about the psychological ramifications of Batman forever. Bat- so. Batman's an insult, guys. Mm-hmm. From them. <laughs> and, um, far, far, far be it oh. for me to tr- far be it for me to trash here. You know, Gary Oldman does a very good job with the character, but I'm sorry, I look at him and I see Ned Flanders. <laughs> yeah, just because of the stash. Yeah, the stash. The stash. The hair. Yeah. Well, he's also a, he's also a little bit Jim Gordon in bat, the Batman stuff. He is a little kind of golly G Willikers kind of thing. Like he's God. not, yeah. Like he, he has, I mean, he has presence and he's in the thing, but it's still kind of, eh. Like again, he's on a, a force that is completely corrupt in a city that is full of maniacs. Everyone's a lunatic. He's got this weird guy in a bat costume who keeps showing up, but he does the job for him, so it's fine. It's like, you make me look good, and I keep getting promotions. It's fine. But he, you know, I I mean, he's kind of a timid guy. Like, he started out to be a timid guy, and he he gets more, you know, he gets gets the balls towards the end there. But he's just kind of, meh, to start. Shame on him on not having Morgan Freeman join his cybersecurity team. He needs the thing I want to point out about him as Commissioner Gordon is that that's the nearest we saw Commissioner Gordon from a comic book. Has anybody said that? Mm-hmm. Remember, we had Neil Hamilton on the 60s TV show, and then we had um, what you call Pat Hingle in the Batman Tim Burton movies. This was the this right. was like year one uh, Commissioner, you know, Jim Gordon that we knew, you know, mm-hmm. that we saw Absolutely. in the comic book. And I had his character was that it was the first time I saw Gary Olden old olden become like this heroic character he's not right he's not <laughs> glory he's in it because he and he wants it to be you know his you know he he wants his town to be good the way it used to be and the part i love is when in batman begins he gives the the coat to bruce wing yeah and he's just an ordinary right. cop on the beat and that shows you what he is he's a person that will give you know, that character gives and, you know, you see it as he goes along throughout the trilogy. You know, so that's, that was the good thing about him. Playing the character. Yeah, yeah. They show him doing that same thing in the third dark Knight movie when, 
Joseph Gordon-Levitt's character, who turns out to you know be Robin at the end kind of thing, he did the same thing for him when he was a kid. So it's like, okay, that's the kind of guy he is. He's a good guy. He's here to help the people who can't protect themselves and can't help themselves. So that's a good character to have around, especially in a police force. We've seen what happens when that is not the case. So. Yeah. And they drop they drop um, a lot of little backstory things with him, like you see him taking out the trash, like they set him up. To, he's like the ultimate family man. Yeah, you know he obviously he has his family in this what looks to be some sort of a crummy apartment. So you you know he's not on the take because he's not living in a nice place. He's living in sort of a rundown apartment. He's taking the trash out. You know uh, he he's sort of the ultimate. The, the the Ned Flanders um, comparison holds up a little bit. He's he's kind of uh, I don't know naive. He's a little Pollyannish. He like, like you could see him being a cop in a small town like in mm-hmm. Andy Griffith, but he's not. He's he's in he's you not know, Gotham, <laughs> right? So he so he rises to the occasion, but I think you get the impression he'd almost rather not. Like he just wants right. things to be perfect, but he 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 takes them as they are and tries to make them better. That's a good point because he's never trying to do the minimum. You're always seeing him literally like doing basically the detective's work for him. He's the guy leading the manhunts and breaking he down. He runs a lot. He just breaks into a run because you got to get shit done. And that that's, you know, not everybody does that. If you remember, what was the detective in the Tim Burton first Batman who went to check out what was going on at the chemical place? That fat guy eating the sandwich yeah, in the trench coat. Yeah, yeah. yeah, it's like that. that's just a totally different kind of uh, cop. That you've got, you know, the fat, lazy, on the job, on the take kind of guy versus the guy who's actually getting out there and doing things and hitting the street, even though he's the commissioner and he doesn't really need to. Right. I don't think in any other universe a commissioner is going to yeah. leave. The, the, the only thing, door they're breaking down is the door to their office that's been locked by the... The commissioner doesn't even work in the police <laughs> department. They, like, work at City Hall. They're not even in the same building so right (laughs) i've seen brooklyn 99 they're not there so just out of curiosity (laughs) you know we talked about other characters playing this or other actors playing the same character do you guys see ben mckenzie from gotham i love that into gary oldman i because i don't i see that a complete disconnect of characters yeah Yeah. it's a good show in its own right the what from what i've seen but yeah it's a totally different characterization and i'm okay with that because i mean why I think you're better off just doing your own take instead of... Well, and it's comic out. books, right? You know, right. they they just reboot everything and... and How have dare to comics story. reboot themselves? <laughs> I don't mind it. Yeah. I know, I'm just joking. Because <laughs> <laughs> everyone, how dare you be different? I mean, yeah. it's just not human nature. I mean, it's comic books. Don't, don't talk about reboots and comics because Marvel and DC have been doing it for the past 10 years and they've just been rebooting... And rebooting and rebooting. They've been doing it for the past 50 years. That's that's what they do. I mean, you can't have Superman do all the things and live happily ever after. He's never going to age, so something's got to change. He's got to do something. Hashtag crisis. He's got (laughs) to outgrow his pants or do some grocery shopping. Do something. Yeah, well, I mean, even if it's not a reboot, it's like just kind of a a different version, right? You know, you've got like the uh, different Spider-Mans. You've got Dark dark Batman or whatever it's called. And, um, you know, I have different volumes of completely different Batmans. What about maybe they're all just like James Bond? They're the same. They're different people under a different, similar name. <laughs> yeah. 
Well, it could also be very easily a multiverse kind of situation. I like oh. multiverse. I mean, mm-hmm. yeah. multiverses are always great to have. Hence, Spider Man's current success rate. <laughs> Just it's a multiverse. <laughs> There's also another option: Batman's a Time Lord. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, there you go, Doctor Who. Wayne. There is a there is a uh, time traveling guy in Batman, uh, m- like mythos. There, I don't remember what his name is, but I've heard him come up on time to time. So you never know. And ba- and Bruce Wayne actually did go through time in a recent um, story arc after he supposedly died. Yeah. Wow, thanks, this Wayne. Is, this is like a watch guy. Or, I don't know. He's like literally a clock man or something. I don't know. <laughs> Who was the that um, uh, Hamill played on um, on the Arrowverse? I forgot his name. Oh, uh, I don't think so. He was time traveler. I Chrono. That's, that's I thought they all time traveled. <laughs> no, Clock, Clock King. Clock King is who I was thinking. Yeah. Clock King. Yeah. Anyway. Clock. Anyway. No, that's all great. Right. So, all right. movie number two. <laughs> yeah. Number two. I, I did not intend this, but yeah, roll, roll number two for Mr. Wolf. So my favorite role, I'll just jump in here, uh, is, again, I, I'm nerdy, so I have to keep the nerd. Oh, my God. I know. Did you know? Nerdier than us. Oh. Yeah. So, <laughs> we, we focus on it pretty hardcore. So <laughs> my, my favorite character for him is going to be Sirius Black from the Harry Potter movies. And I would say that my favorite movie of the Harry Potter movies with him in it is actually Order of the Phoenix. While I love Prisoner of Azkaban... He is very skinny and weirdly skeezy in it. Uh, but by by this movie, he has come into his own. He's doing his thing. He's very healthy. And there's a lot of fatherly love devoted towards Harry, which is is just very special. And I just I just love him in this. So. Did you want to become a wizard after seeing his portrayal? No. Okay. No. I, I would say <laughs> this character though is like peak hotness for um Gary Oldman. For some reason, as an older man, he yeah. looks the hottest in that uh, movie. Because he doesn't look like a psycho. Like half of his other looks like a human in this one. So, yeah, he's, yeah. he's still way way too old for us, but like, you know, you kind of dig it, you know. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know what? I'm I'm okay with it. You can see him hanging out with the hippies at Woodstock, maybe something like that. He's got that kind of hairdo going. Yeah. I mean, yeah, he's, you know. They call him the wizard. Who knows? (laughs) He's a wizard, man. He can do things. For real. No, very cool. Um, And he turns into a dog, so what's not to like? I mean, that's awesome. A lot of people I would like to just be in dog form most of the time. Uh, well, I mean, <laughs> and if you don't like them, if they're not doing what they're supposed okay. to do, up for adoption, someone else's problem. That's right. Just open the door. Born free. Yeah. <laughs> and it's not illegal. It's fine. It's fine. It's so illegal. I know. When we, uh, we had their that. Great, their greatest concerns are who's going to feed me, who's going to walk me. I, I won't get to know that kind of happiness for at least another 30 years. I've got three of them sitting <laughs> on the bed behind me. They're all just waiting. Hell, those are my greatest concerns, too. Oh, dear. You guys. We'll, we'll, we'll figure you out after the show. <laughs> I'm, still I'm still trying to figure my weird self out. Um, no, good good, good picks, Liz and Heather. And now we got JJ. I'm going to let you take it away with roll number three. What okay. is the essential... Um... 
I'm going to say Francis Ford Coppola's Dracula. Ooh. Mm-hmm. I knew that was coming up. It had to be on here somewhere. Because, yep. The movie because might be That role was, I think, a role that I loved watching because I'm a big fan of you know, vampire and Dracula movies. I couldn't stand Twilight, though. I'm sorry, but uh, <laughs> uh, with with that role, the first part when he's in the castle with that hairdo, man, should not, should not have been. You know, he has that creepiness of Max Shrek from Nosferatu. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He's and he, not only that, the backstory is. He went off to fight in the Crusades. His wife thought he was dead. She killed herself. He came back. He renounces God and becomes a vampire. Um, but when he comes to the castle, I mean, we—if anybody saw the thirty-one version of Dracula, he comes in in like a cape, you know, down the stairs. You know, I am Dracula. I bid you welcome. He comes down, and it's like you don't know what the heck he's walking on, you know. And he's carrying the lamp, and the shadow is like, you know, going to attack Harker and all that. And it's 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 creepy. It's like he's, you know, he cuts himself. He takes the razor blade and goes like that with it. You know, it was just, I was just, I mean, it kind of like was like, okay, I get where he's coming from this, from this angle. And then when he comes to London, and he becomes the suave, dapper, romantic character. He brings the touch of, I think, maybe Lugosi and Lee in that way. Mm-hmm. So it was kind of like, you know, he, he's, he, and he's also anguished, too, because he loves, uh, was it Mina or Lucy? I don't know what. Mina. She, Mina. Mina. He loves Mina. He doesn't want to give her up, but he, he has these, you know, it's like he's trying to fight the urge to drink her blood at one point. <laughs> and that's the thing. You find he, he it, had that tragedy about him in that movie you know a lot of drac a lot of guys who play dracula don't do that they don't have that tragic feel about no they're the just closest was to suck your blood. Yeah. Yeah. well the closest the closest i saw a vampire feeling tragic was uh klaus kinski and Werner herzog's nosferatu where he wants to die all right i have to follow you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, hard act to follow with Klaus Kinski, you know. And then you so, later <laughs> have kind of you get you definitely feel like this role inspires a bunch of other vampire roles, like William Defoe's award-nominated uh, turn in Shadow of the Vampire, mm-hmm. you know, playing a different yeah. version of Nosferatu. Sorry, that's my phone. Yeah. You sure <laughs> yeah. that's not Gary Oldman's agent? Right. <laughs> that's no. That's... So fun fun fact. Uh, if you want to know how long my nerdiness goes back, I did my senior high school research paper, like my big thesis paper for the year, on Bram Stoker's Dracula. Because, yeah. Bram Stoker, man. Nice. You should um, put in our Keanu Weeks uh, Dracula. Yeah. I, there's a couple of things I would like to add to that, but we need more weeks. So, yeah. Well, no, no, that, that's Which very I'm good. fine with. I'm and, good with adding And as, as this is definitely the role that. Whether you love the movie, hate the movie, in between, I think everyone agreed that was a good pick. Just he was just the right mm-hmm. kind of odd oddball to bring to Dracula because he was there as an actor, let alone figuring out how a character walks and evolves over time. So, very very good pick. 
tackling a character's history with how it resonates with book and movie material. That's, that's a good one. So, uh, Tom, and I think the opening part where, where he where he renounces God is some of the best acting, the most intense acting yes. you'll see. Yep. It's yeah, just, it's just, he really it's, it's painful to watch. You, you get his his anguish, his, his complete rage. It's just an incredible scene. And that, sure. that that red armor he wears. Yeah, you know, it's, it's almost like, like musculature. Yeah, which is, is like just amazing. You know. For sure. All right, I'm going to let Tom pick role number four. All right, um, keep it with a literary theme. The one that I really enjoyed Gary and Gary Oldman in was Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are dead. <laughs> Woo! Whoa. Wow. Wow. Okay. Okay. Tom Hopper. <laughs> First of all, I'm an English I was an English major in college, so I read a little bit of Shakespeare here and there. But what really brought it out was just him and Tim Roth playing off each other, playing off their circumstances, and just they look like they were having the time of their lives. They had and to. The material is there. The character is there. Roger yeah. Ebert totally missed the point of, he's like, I'm not really laughing at this. He's like, well, it's going to make more f sense if you're actually familiar with the text. But, yeah. I mean, they're doing pretty good considering adapting the material and, you know, bringing the outlandishness of the whole scenario to life. So, yeah. I I had the hardest time with though was like you could tell this is a stage play but it's not translating well no, fair I, point I, 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 th I think it it was basically they made it just with that intent they're like only the people the only audience for this is going to be fans of the stage play so it's mm -hmm. like we're not going to try and make it look more like a movie they're just going to make it more like the stage like i know but Okay, so when you convert a movie in, or a, a play into a movie, you have a huge expanded opportunity. So why limit yourself to these like one shot, uh, smaller shots? I mean, they kind of expanded on it towards the end, right? Where they were out actually on the boat, but like really, they really didn't. It still felt small, but not quite. I mean, either keep the stage and make it all a stage or go big or go home. But maybe that was the point because it is, you know, characters from a play that are doing their thing. So maybe that, we're I don't saying, know. I, like I we're trying to did. put them in the life. We're trying to put them in the real world, but they only know how to play stage. I don't, I don't know if that makes sense, but I, I, I kind of figured it was either seeing it. Yeah. Through a stage plays characters lens, so to speak. But I, I it could have also easily been that maybe that was the film crew's background or, Maybe they're just shit. I don't know. <laughs> no, you, you could tell that they what were good. They would have been awesome to see in a stage. I just felt like there was just something missing. I just, it didn't maybe, feel... Maybe know. old men and Ross contracts were raising up, so to speak, and so the budget went to them. I loved it. You know, you had you yourself a future Marvel villain uh, against a future DC hero. It's awesome. I see what you did there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 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 yeah uh, that's a good call on that one yeah. though tom i think that's i i can't see anyone else playing those guys i mean they 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 were game for that and i mean you could have probably gotten some other intense serious actor maybe around that time but yeah i th i think that you that's when you kind of saw these guys are 
they're really good actors. They're going to be out there. But it did feel like an early production. Does that make sense? I don't know. No, no, it, it, yeah. it does. This is around mm-hmm. when we're embracing different formats and acceptability of film standards and all that for digital. <laughs> so, And uh, just add one more fine point to it. It showed that he could do comedy. Yeah, We see him in dramatic, dramatic roles all the time. But then when you get to see him kind of cut loose and be, and be comedic at the same time, it's... And believe me, comedy is hard, especially if you're if you're just a serious actor all the time. So when he had the opportunity to to take that step out, that I think even with yeah. material, he he just blew me out of the water with it. I I agree, he killed it, and um, he did show that literally he killed more, it. He knows more <laughs> about timing uh, than you would have expected from a dramatic actor. Absolutely, he was ahead of the curve. Alrighty, David, I'm going to let you tackle role number five. Uh, I'm going to have to go with uh, Drexel Spivey in True Romance. I found, I found... Not a bad choice. Uh, oh, he's only in the movie for... He's not in the movie very much, but he was absolutely terrifying in that role. He, he, he has this energy in this role, like he's just this live wire, just one, you know, one crossword or, or sideways glance away from just you know, murdering you. He's just got this intense energy. He's got the one, uh, you know, milky eye and he's got the weird gold teeth <laughs> and the dreads. I, I just, uh, I love his energy and he's absolutely terrifying in the role. And it's also one of my favorite movies. It's just such a great movie, such great dialogue. I've seen and, him ranked as one of the best Tarantino characters for that. I've seen them say, just say, hey, we, 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 we prefer the extended cut. There's more scenes of him as that character. He, he certainly makes an impression in, in the time that he's given in the movie. Oh, definitely. Um, yeah. He, he, has I, I great, he, has great, he has some great lines, yeah. Definitely one of the first villains I saw, I could not take my eyes off, off of him because I'm just like, man, well, I want to know what makes this guy tick even more, even though he's just a psycho and he's just very animated and he's very, he, he's just very shameless. It's like, yep. I ain't playing your game. You're gonna shotgun blast to the ass. <laughs> well, and he, and he goes from he goes from zero to intense violence so quickly. He's sitting on the couch in one second, and then the next second, he's you know up, got the table flipped over, and he's got like you know he's beating the hell out of uh, out of a Christian Slater. And it, it, it was so it was done so quickly. He, he's just uh, absolutely absolutely terrifying. It's clearly his day job. <laughs> yeah, exactly. If I like yeah. you, you get the blast. Right. And and he and he clearly enjoys his work. Right, and I, I just remember him just saying, I was just yelling at the screen, "You bastard!" When I saw him just blast uh, Sam Jackson, I was like, "No, don't kill the messenger." <laughs> yeah, that's a good, that's a good true. Ah, very good. All right, Nightmare Nerd, you are up for roll number six. As if there was probably any doubt coming from me, of all people, but uh, I got to go with uh, Mason Berger and Hannibal. Woo! <laughs> <laughs> And it's it's funny because I actually disliked the book compared to its uh, predecessor and the movie even more so, but he's yeah. a definite highlight in it. And as I, for lack of a word, I liked almost the corniness he brought to it for such a hideous character and an almost crypt keeper quality with the different outfits he wears and all the little one liners he blurts out. And but by far the highlight to me is when he's. Uh, I forget the scene. He he's talking to the FBI, corrupt FBI director. When he hangs the phone, he just goes, "Ah, cocksucker!" <laughs> yeah. And the fact that he was willing to embarrass himself more than Ray Liotta opening up his brain—that that has to say something. I mean, 
That's ballsy. <laughs> I, oh, I want to desecrate my face almost. I just want to just rip it up. <laughs> but but I, but I, but I will admit the one very chilling line he's got is when Starling is interviewing him, and she has to reach to put a, pil- a microphone in his pillow, but he looks at her and he says, "You know, it's funny. You can look at my face, but you shied away when I said the name of God." Right. <laughs> Getting pretty deep here, man. These. First Coppola, now Ridley Scott. What's next, Oldman? <laughs> That's a good pick. All righty, Jonathan Mark, you have roll number seven. <laughs> wow. <laughs> you had some fierce competition here. <laughs> I got you to use one of the but for me, I got to go with the fifth element. That's one that actually introduced me to him. When I was a kid, and to me, that was one of the more unique villains that he played. This... Zork? Yeah, uh, yeah. Fifth Element, that uh, is definitely a perfect choice because, I mean, it's definitely one of the most seen movies of his, and for good reason. You, <laughs> I love that movie so hard. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, so good. Second time we're going to I adore it. It's and, a very divisive film. You find people who either love it or hate it, and they like. There's no in between. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I w- I would watch it, but didn't really get it when I was a kid. But you know, I, I rectified that. I kept watching it, and you it grows on you. You have to just and don't watch it on TV. They cut out a lot of right. key points and dialogue that because ris- it's risque or over the top, and it's like okay, well, then you don't have a movie. <laughs> it's just this is part of this movie, and it's. You, they, they cut out so much stuff talking about even why he even wants to go after the alien, and it's like, God, editors, man. Um, but yeah, uh, he's definitely again. I think that's where he, you definitely start again seeing him be mixed comedy with the villainy more and more so, and <clears throat> very comfortable in it. He's like a used car salesman in that movie. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, got it. Cool like what he's selling the gun to the uh, to the aliens, right? And he's pointing out the yeah. of the gun. Right? What's that about? <laughs> That's a great scene. My favorite scene of his in the movie, though, is when uh, the priest says to him, "You're a monster," and he looks back almost coquettishly and he says, "I know," with a little like nod of the head and a little wink of the eye. He's like, he's he's so uh, in love with his own evil. He's like, I know. <laughs> Jeez Louise. Oh, what, what's your favorite scene from it? <laughs> that was my favorite scene, actually, also. Um, was that when he first meets Millie Jordan's character? Yeah. When he uh, first meets Mila's alien character is definitely a key scene, because you basically need all all you need to know about the character right from that send-off is, like, he's pretty maniacal, he's ruthless, he thinks everyone else is worse than him. <laughs> the trash. What I think about that is that it's one of the very few movies I can think of where the hero, the main hero, Bruce Willis, and Gary Oldman don't actually meet. Right. They're just part of the same ship, and they're not even seeing really eye-to-eye. <laughs> yeah, so probably makes make that work. Very deaf. Very so. 
just just for clarification though, the best part about that uh, movie is his haircut. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> yes. It's like he and was the half a plastic hat. It's like they said, don't change anything about true romance, and we're not doing makeup like Dracula, but we want you to still kind of just be smooth <laughs> one minute. Different. We want you to wear baseball, this little baseball thing on your head, and then you just walk around in a really funky accent. Right. <laughs> this will get you other good roles, like Lost in Space. Wait, no, scratch that. No, 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 no. no, no. You got Harry Potter after that. So, yeah, yeah, there you, know. you there you go. Yeah. There you go. There's <laughs> <Now> redemption. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy. So role number eight. I can't call this a list without mentioning Leon the professional. Oh yes. Oh. Everyone. And so it's kind of fun at first because you don't even really initially really realize it's like Oh yeah, this guy's he's not just a shithead, he's also a crappy cop. So two cop roles here on here. One good, one bad, and this is the bad one. And it's just so wild how you, you just wonder how he's gotten away with what he's gotten, and then you just realize it's like, well, everybody fears him. I mean, just just how he walks, how he smokes, how he just even just catches you eye to eye, just and just flat out just tells you you are just scum of the earth and he you don't do what he says you know he's just gonna go all bad lieutenant on you but it's he really did make this role and just knowing that he improvised these lines that made it all more special uh anyone else have any other favorite the professional moments I haven't seen it, so yeah. Really? Oh, really? Oh, yeah. I have really? not. Really? Oh, man. Oh, okay. Well, you'll you'll never look at Jean Reno the same way, and I mean that in a good no. way. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, I can't I can't go to anyone nowadays without them calling him by his you know just nicknaming him Leon. <laughs> definitely, definitely a good Luc Besson film, and. Uh, hell, Stephen. Stephen Izzy might be asked to cover it, so I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> the the scene where he uh, is uh, trying to discern whether uh, Michael uh, Badalucho's character is lying or not, and so he smells him to see if he's lying. That I thought that was right. a great a great little because you're not sure is he bullshitting or can he really? And at the end of the day, does it even matter? Because he's obviously so fucking crazy. That you know, it it doesn't matter whether he can actually smell the lie or not. He's going to act on it. You know what he thinks either way. I love that. I just love the way he smells up one side of him and down the other. It's a great great scene. Yeah, and the movie's very interesting because even though it doesn't directly say what city it's in, much like The Dark Knight, you can kind of imply Gotham is basically a fictional version of Chicago. This is basically a different version of New York. Because that's where they filmed it. And it's just so wild just seeing when Leon just comes into the police station, just takes out all his other cops, and they, you know, they get their asses handed to him. And it's just, you know, they basically are goons for him. And he literally always just, I just love how he just always just prances around, whether he's coming out of the restroom, whether he's just seeing all the other people. And he just, he thinks he's always even in control of the situation, even when he's not. But that's okay. You, good luck arguing with him, you know. You can't tell him no. He won't accept no. 
I'm gonna let uh, 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 I'm gonna split the last two rolls. Uh, Liz and Heather will chime in on roll number nine, and uh, John and JJ can figure out roll number ten. <laughs> I'll, I'll defer to Heather. I think the the next roll of mine that's a favorite is more of an honorable mention than getting like an actual place on a top yeah, 10 list. Can't count his friends cameo. I know that's the one I want because <laughs> it's awesome. But I think right, again, we'll it's a mention. little more honorable mention. So, yeah. okay. I, yeah. I, we need to talk about this one because I think that it um, is lost a little bit in, I, d I don't know. I just feel like it's very underrated and that's Dawn of the planet of the apes. Yeah. Yes. That's all right. Good choice. Mm -hmm. Just seeing him cry and lose it. Well, again, he's being ba he's basically a tyrant, mm -hmm. but he's a tyrant also with a heart. So that makes it even more wild. You know, he's using all these slurs to call these animals mm -hmm. that are apes. You know, <laughs> and, and the fact that he also just thinks, you know, you couldn't ask for a better place. I, you know, I'm not doing anything awful. I'm. He's basically a Mad Max type villain minus yeah. the cards and barely wearing any clothing he he is actually you know in charge of the city and treating it almost like concentration camp to some extent kind of yeah i mean you can tell that he's coming at it from a protective place right and he like it's almost because he doesn't have the knowledge of the outside that it makes right. it more protective. i i mean i just love the character and, and I, you know I, he had a great arc in it so um it's like a, it's like those weirdo survivalists, like out in the mountains somewhere. That right. Just like this is all we know, and we just live here, bad kind of thing. And you know, Swamp yeah. And then to, and to go past that, unite. Yeah. <laughs> I, I love swamp people. Don't even mess with me on swamp people. Uh, <laughs> I, I was describing his militia. Mm. Hey, monkey, do you want a, you want a gun? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I That's just love it when that the apes like outacted yeah. almost all of the actors. There. Art imitates oh, life. Oh yeah, art imitates life. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, and yeah, that's something. I mean, even Woody Harrelson struggles with it in part three. Is like I am just talking to CGI Andy Circus, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> Pretty much. And the the thing that really got me about about his role in in Dawn of the Planet of the Apes is the fact that. When you listen to him, you can say he has a point. Yeah, that's yeah. the that makes that makes for a great villain. Isn't have to be the mustachioed, twirling mustache person you do roll up on you and, and shoot you dead. It's that little bit of he he's making sense, and you feel sympathy for both the humans and the apes. So you don't want to see them go come to blows, but when they do. It's like you you feel it really viscerally. Well, I think yeah. we're seeing that a lot more in you know this century, if you will, than we have in entertainment in the past, where villains yeah. have always been very one dimensional. They they know they have like a little bit of a backstory, but they're all just basically Doctor Claw, like ah, I'll get you <laughs> next time. And but but we see a lot more like we're seeing in Maleficent. We see it with Killmonger in Black Panther. All of these things where we have a much more layered backstory to these villains and you do feel for them and you're like well yeah i mean i mean you're an ass but i, I get it so, but you're a likable ass yeah you're a likable ass not just any ass right. all right someone you got some serious ac going there 
I thought that was a rocket going I was off. like, not it. Yeah. <laughs> We're podcasting from the car. No big uh-huh. All right. <laughs> we'll now be United 43 to Detroit. We'll be boarding in here in five minutes. <laughs> we are podcasting in a wind We're well, gathered here to witness the fun with Princess Festival and Prince Vibe and holy moly! <laughs> <laughs> Like you're not gonna get that out with noise reduction. That's not gonna happen. (laughs) Sorry to do that. I don't know who did that, but okay. Um, so uh, John and JJ, tell me some your favorite Air Force One jokes. (laughs) Get off my plane. Get off. Get off my resume. Wait, no, that's not what I meant. Get off my plane. But yeah. This, I always have some fun with this. I know some people hate this movie. I know some people love it. And all I can say is, it's just a, it, it's some serious competition in the you know save the president subgenre. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's 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 over. He's overplaying it. I think he. I think he. I think he is playing the like like what um. Just where the villains have a back... This guy doesn't have a backstory. This guy's just a nutcase. Right. He's just another yeah, diehard, and, too, under siege-type yeah. bad guy. <laughs> Instead of being Alan Rickman being smart, debonair, and, you know, with a three-piece suit on, he's, he's a nutcase. He's a crazy person. You know, and that's... Yeah. that's yep. You know, but, I mean, that, that's, what, that's what kind of turned me off the Air Force One when I saw it, because I was like, okay, we've got... Harrison Ford as the stoic hero president. We got Gary Oldham as the nutcase ru- Russian. I don't know if they were Russian or what the hell were they? I don't they know. were they were Russian. They were like yeah, they were Russian ex, ex- Soviet brigade or some <laughs> shit like that. And yeah, <laughs> he's playing. He's like it's like he's like he's like, he's like I'm gonna take over the plane. He's like he's, he's like that dog, you know. And, and yeah, that, I love how he's the only one who says any not safe for work words in this movie. Just very briefly, this is very tame language-wise for an R-rated action movie. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> he just lets it out very briefly, like, fuck, get up in the door. <laughs> kill them, kill them. Get off my gosh, gosh darn plane. So during the filmmaking, and this is before Gary Oldman had this uh, accusations of wife abuse and how I knew it was bullshit, was when he was told... Uh, Apparently, Harrison Ford wanted him to go all method and actually beat him with the gun prop, and he did not want to risk that. He's like, nope, not going to do it. <laughs> not going to beat you senseless, Harrison. you got to ask someone else to do that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's too method, yeah. Yeah. He definitely gives Alan Rickman and Dennis Hopper and Speed a run for their money. Um, uh, but... Seeing it endless times, I, I, I don't. It never really grows old on me. It's not perfect, but it's not. It's one of the better disaster movies of the '90s. Just there's some fun to it. Well, it's, kind of, it's a lot of fun. That's kind of, kind of Passenger Fifty Seven, and uh, what was the other one? Uh, on Steve. Um, sorry, sorry, say again. The one they did with. Ball and the John Lake was. Oh, executive decision. Like, yeah, executive yeah. decision. Yeah. It was like it was like these movies came out and it was like one, two, three, and I and you know like 
Do I want to? Do I want to see something on a plane? Something on a plane? Snake. You know. Snakes on a plane. Snakes. <laughs> what is it on a plane? Wrestlers on a plane. Strippers on a plane. Gorillas on a plane. Zombies on a plane. That was on Congo. Gorillas on a plane. Uh, yeah, that's right. That's right. <laughs> Amy wants green drop drink. Yep. Yep. I like this in Congo. Oh, it's man. like those three rolls. Stop eating my sesame cake! <laughs> I'm actually surprised Oldman wasn't in Congo. But well, yeah, he could have been. Sure. Tim Curry kind of gave him a run for his money, though. <laughs> I think he took he took Gary Oldman's role there. He would have totally been Hamalka. So yeah, <laughs> yeah. Being weirdly, you know, culturally appropriating and I weird. Seen, I could have seen him as that driver at the airport, though. You know. Ooh, a talking gorilla. I feel the money hairs going woo, woo, woo. <laughs> <laughs> uh, at least you got to be in one of the Apes movies. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Joe Don Baker. <laughs> Joe Don Baker. <laughs> oh, my God. Don't get us started on Mitchell. Damn it. Oh, is that a beer? Oh, There's boy. an 80s movie staple if I've ever heard one. Yep, we, we fall into it unapologetically way too many a time. Mm -hmm. Oh, man. So, honorable mentions. Friends was up. Uh, yeah. Nancy is definitely a must-see. Yeah, I can't find it anywhere. Really? Yeah. Right. So. Uh, I thought it was on Prime, but I could be wrong. Yeah. Uh, Yep, JFK is Lee Harvey Oswald. Yeah, yeah we not we didn't talk about any of the movies you uh, won Academy Award. Nah. Like, oh, Taylor, yeah, screw it. Long hours, screw it. It's all, it's all good. It's all decided by the studios. Also, for honorable mention, I want to throw in the Book of Eli. Oh yeah. Yeah, I wanted to mention that. Yeah. That is Academy. For all the times he's played a villain, that was, I think, the one I've seen where he was the most absolutely psychotic. He was driven. He was obsessed with what he, what the guy had. So, he's, so He was really good in it. I didn't really feel like there was much depth to him, even with the plot twist at the end. But he really did own the movie along with He Denzel. did. Yeah, but uh, I, I I can't recommend that movie enough. I keep telling people about it, and they either they haven't seen it or they, they said, "Oh, it sucks." But it's like, no, it's it's one of those movies you you may only be able to see it once, but it but it is but his role in it is just so so deliciously good. Yeah, I think his character in that there's a lot of parallels with Dreyfus from Dawn of the Planet Apes. He's obviously yeah. the villain. But he's doing what he thinks is the right thing to do, even though he's obviously psychotic. He's not causing pain just to cause pain. He thinks he's going to drag these people, you know, he's back to like civilization. Total, he's acting like a total marshal of this whole town. Yeah. He thinks it's, he's the only one who can do it. So he's, uh, to me, he's almost like the flip side of the coin from his role in Dawn of the Planet of the Apes. Just, a, just one decision, because I believe it's... Um, I think it was one of the Dark Knight movies where they said all it takes for a good man to come bad is one lousy day. And I think that's where... How about that's a joke, Barry? Yeah. So that, to me, that that was a... 
that that's the difference between the two. They're similar characters, but where they diverge is, like I said, the flip side of the coin. Yeah, I think Dreyfus. I think Dawn of Dreyfus from Dawn of the Planet Hicks is more sympathetic because you see what he's lost. Uh, he's lost his two sons and his wife. You know, you see where his pain is coming from. Where Carnegie is just, he's just a religious zealot without the religion. You know, yeah. he, he wants the Bible, but not because he believes it. It's just because he knows he can use it to control everyone else. They're, exactly. both, they're both marshals who act as tyrants. One of them wants what the other can't have just because, and the other just wants to keep people alive while using very heavy-handed decisions and not asking for a second opinion. <laughs> but, Car but Carnegie's end at the end of Book of Eli is so delicious when um, his wife, what that actress's name? Um, Jennifer uh, Beals. Je Jennifer Beals. You know, she's blind and she says to him, I can smell your leg. So you know his leg is infected. He's not going to be able to get the medicine to heal. So he's going to die from that infection. Plus his, uh, you know, his empire is crumbling. They're tearing up the bar around him. I, lo I just love that everything around him is crumbling. He, he gets the best comeuppance at the end of that movie. Right. And the, um, one who, and the one who pronounces it is his blind wife, who he's been abusing horribly throughout the whole film. She's the one who gets to tell him, you know, it's all over for you, pal. For sure, for sure. I love um, that. And if anyone's seen uh, Prick Up Your Ears, Good which movie. is another... A real-life author mystery, much like Sid and Nancy. It was cool. And JFK, it was cool seeing him play an actual historical figure. Uh, Joe Orton. He play? Joe Orton, he was a playwright. In the yeah. And he was involved with another gentleman. Um, and what happened in real life was that uh, the guy who played with Boston, Orton's career took off. The other guy's kind of and Orton had read, written a whole bunch of things that were successful in West, and he was murdered by the So this, that was about yours was Interesting. Um, he, he and Antonio Banderas, I thought, really played well off each other in Steven Soderbergh's The Laundromat. You can see it on Netflix. That's where it was made for. Okay. Is it new? I've never heard of it. Well, that's just it. Everything's direct to Netflix nowadays, and yeah, it was pretty solid. The Wacky. laundromat? Like, yep. About the place you wash your clothes. Correct. I'm gonna, yep. Okay. All right. Uh, dead fish. Finding, Sorry, go ahead. Finding out about all of these uh, Gary Oldman things I've missed. Well, to be fair, it's not like he heavily, you know. Yeah, I think I, I've missed most of them, so it's fine. Well, <laughs> I've seen everything he's been nominated for. <laughs> that counts. Well, you know, it's all decided by the studios anyway, so what's the matter? <laughs> um, he's really good in the Tarantino knockoff film, uh, Dead Fish. He just plays this, he plays this Canadian gangster, and it's just so wild how someone sends him just an unusual trap and note. And he's like, what is this? Fucking James Bond? And just, and just very quirky throughout it. I really dug him in the Robocop remake. It was just yeah, cool yeah. from the cyborg creator's opinion. Whether this guy's fit to be even a robo robotic cop. Kind of like how in Dark Knight. And just like, okay, this guy, can he roam around? 
are the bureaucrats that are trying to stop me, even in the right. Yada yada. So, so. Uh, how about even state of grace? Yeah, state of grace, gangster role, definitely the best part of that movie. Criminal uh, law with Kevin Bacon and. Yes, criminal law. Did anyone ever see that legal film he did? No. He he might again probably the earliest good guy role he ever did, and he has to determine if Kevin Bacon, his client, is guilty or not, and how he's going to get him off on anything. I thought if you were a defense attorney, you weren't supposed to care. Yeah, yeah you know, sometimes it can be like OJ, and sometimes it can be like, uh, I don't know. Well, you're supposed to just not, like, seek out the truth. That's what I think it's the way. Actually, the defense attorney's job is to defend their client to the best of their abilities, whatever that may be. And that, yes. that we'll becomes problematic. It, it, it becomes problematic time. when your guy's like a total raving psychopath loser. So, yeah. I thought they were supposed to scream everyone's face off like Sam Waterston in Law and Order. Yeah. <laughs> Objection, Your Honor. No, you're out of line. I mean, I'll gladly go and get them. <laughs> Fuck you. Oh, what a treasure. Yep, great actor. Um he's really good as uh Soviet uh leader Viktor Reznov who inspires his own Don Brigade of terrorists in the Call of Duty games. You can see his Conan O'Brien interview where he talks about making it and it is definitely a hoot. And where he talks about how he had to shout off a simplest line and actually make it mean something more. <laughs> Blow the bridge! Blow it! <laughs> of course, we would not be a Gary Oldman episode if we didn't mention his him being the best part of the awful movie, Tiptoes. That's the one where he discovered that was real years ago for my brother. Right. That's the one where he plays a smaller person, so to speak. And... <laughs> Uh, he does really good with it. That's what he was most famous for, I forgot. <laughs> <laughs> most famous for. First <laughs> on IMDb. He's highly offensive, but did a great job, right? He did so good. He's so much better than the movie. You, you, I would love to see that character in another movie. <laughs> Tom Leguizamo plays in, in, um, in the other one. Uh, oh, yeah, that one. Uh, know. You know, the one with Hugh McGregor. <laughs> Wait. No, I don't. Talking about Spawn? What are you talking about? No, no. I, so he was in Tiptoes. He played that uh, playwright that was uh, uh, a little person, correct? Yes. Yes. And so that same character, that same, because he's a real person, was in that, I forgot the name of it, but it's the musical. Um, uh, Zoot Suit? No. <laughs> I don't know. I the name of it. Lynn McGregor, Kit, Nicole Kidman. It was oh, Mulan Rouge. Mulan Rouge. Mulan Rouge. I can't Tom pronounce Tom plays the same shit. character. <laughs> anyway. It's, it's yeah. yes. Speaking the Dutch. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking the yeah. French. Um, yeah. No. I'm, those. Uh, Leguizamo, we are actually going to be covering later this well, year. Well, so. Now you, you've got a comparison. You can watch the same uh, different actors play the same character in the same offensive way. I mean, I just even haven't seen both as much as I love Leguizamo and think he's the slightly better actor. I, I got to give it to Oldman. He was the only one in this movie. Wait, wait, you think Leguizamo's a better actor than Gary Oldman? 
Oh yeah, and I'll oh. fight you on it. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, if you if you've seen him in bad movies, yeah, he's probably the best part of bad movies. But I mean, Oldman. I mean, when he's in a bad movie, he really does stand out. It's just, I think he's so. They're both diverse actors. I just, I think Leguizamo just has done so much good comedy, and if you've seen some of his stand-up shows, but yes, Oldman is the best part about Tiptoes because he actually looks like he's trying to actually justify anything about this crap fest movie. (laughs) (laughs) He is the only one who looks in place. And that's saying a lot because he's often hinted as the out of place character because of the character's prejudice against smaller people. (laughs) And it's like, no, (laughs) no, you guys suck. You didn't do your research. He did his research and he did pretty good in this awful movie. Uh, he, John, tell us your funniest story about watching him in Hitman's Bodyguard. <laughs> oh my god. It's like he's doing a homage to Air Force One, and at the same time, he is doing everything you can to just make you remember, yeah, I'm a war criminal, and I'm about to get off on it, because you can't prove nothing! <laughs> <laughs> I love when he says that, especially. Except Sam Jackson, he knows everything. Uh. <laughs> Allegedly. I am told... I love his death in that movie, though. Oh, great death. (laughs) Great fucking death. You're waiting for it. And I am told he's good as uh, Winston Churchill in The Darkest Hour. He's amazing. I haven't seen it. Yeah, yeah. Actually, phenomenal performance. You don't need to see it. Phenomenal Uh, performance. Hey, I, I, I love three hour movies if they're good. (laughs) they they talk about uh you know all of the good things Windows Churchill did but they don't talk about like you know denying food to you know the people that he was supposed to take care of and things like that they didn't talk about any of that in there but Uh, oh they sugarcoated it damn you movie (laughs) well no I mean they were talking about a different thing but like Uh, when you know like uh, background mm. stuff it's a little bothersome yeah you're Glamorizing yeah. a shitty person yeah. who's well, I mean, a good so, job so, fighting I like a war. The other side of Dunkirk, though. If you've seen Dunkirk, this is you know. Unfortunately. Yeah, unfortunately. <laughs> unfortunately. <laughs> Three hours, I'll never get back. Anyway, go ahead. <laughs> uh, yeah. So you love his portrayal. You thought he deserved the award, the accolades. Mm-hmm. I love it. I didn't even realize it was him halfway. It felt like. Really? <laughs> Damn. Yeah, I was reading about what he had to go through to transform for that role. It was just, uh, just incredible. How yeah. long he was in the makeup chair and what he had to go through to, you know, become Winston Churchill. It was pretty amazing. How many hours was it? Was it five hours, like with the gin and Wishmaster, or was it more than that? Well, I don't know. It was according to uh, what I'm reading here. It was 200 hours total in the makeup chair. Uh, so maybe and apparently, and apparently, he had, he smoked so many cigars he got nicotine poisoning. Oh, oh no. wow. Which is a, which is which is which will kill you. I wonder if that's Medication. what the studio did in their bid to get the awards. Like our actor almost got nicotine poisoning, so fucking right. so almost died for right. your entertainment. So give him the award. Give him the award or Plus we'll, he's British. We'll knock out both your legs. Ah. We still have mobsters in LA. Yeah. You gotta you gotta give it to him. You gotta give it to him. Anyway, uh, so I'm totally it's good in that, and I'm glad to have it actually confirmed by someone on the show. I'm told he's really good in the Ving Rhames revenge movie Sin. I'm told he's really good in Immortal Beloved. And oh, I'm told yeah. 
Okay. Uh, please tell us a little bit about that. <laughs> I, I, I think it's, it does, you know, it does paint a little bit of a fantasy about Beethoven, but he, when you watch the ending, you're in tears. For sure. The ending is him doing Beethoven's, oh, Jesus, I think, Ninth Symphony, Ode to Joy. Oh, and, joy. Yeah. <laughs> That's good. And, you know, it's just, it, he really, he, he, he kind of, he, he kind of looked like Beethoven. He did look like Beethoven, you know. You ever see a picture of Beethoven, you pick Gary Oldman there, it's, we're getting Beethoven, you know. Beethoven looks like Ned Flanders. you know (laughs) oh i'm told he's really good in the political thriller the contender i don't know if he's 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 actually the best part of that movie honestly oh was he playing a ned flanders type congressman (laughs) (laughs) damn it indeedly doodly why do i want to watch that fucking movie um anyway so um I do feel like he's had some forgettable roles. What about, what about Tinker Taylor? You're not going to talk about Tinker Taylor? Yeah. No one remembers Tinker Taylor. Oh my god. It's a good slow burn. I mean, it is a good I, movie. I, I violently hate that movie. That was like, man, that felt like five hours. It's like, I don't know why I care about anyone. I don't even want them to even break this guy. He seems cooler than them. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so I, and I am a spy addict. I love me you know episodes of original mission impossible spooks even but don't you think it's more gonna be more like tinker taylor than it's gonna be like mi3 Uh, you know sometimes i like a spy novel sometimes i like a spy movie and sometimes it doesn't matter what format is in it just doesn't work for me i just i i i just felt like it was like a five-hour miniseries which it was and they just compacted it all together and it was well shot but Oh uh, yeah, I. I'm sure he was good in it. I just I was so distracted by just <laughs> the uninteresting. Okay. Controversial opinion. Sorry. I <laughs> <laughs> uh, thought he was all right in Remembrance and Track Twenty Nine. Those were like his first two movies. I, they're free on Tubi and Prime. I don't think you have to watch them though. He looked very confused in both horror movies like The Backwoods and Mary. Probably didn't even know why he was in those. And I'm sure he forgets he was in Lost in Space. Um, I wish I could. He's the only good part in that movie, so. Because, I mean, <sighs> when you're playing Dr. Smith, and, who was a scene-stilling villain in both TV show versions, and you're just kind of barely used, and you're in insect form or whatever the hell that was at the very last 20 minutes, well, it was like... Man, what were they thinking? There's, there's an amusing story to that because when it came out, they had Jonathan Harris on Conan O'Brien that night. Really? A couple weeks later. And they said, well, what, do you, what do you think of the Lost in Space movie? And Gary Little said, I'm told he's good, and I wish him all the luck in the world. They, you know, <laughs> because, you know, to me, Dr. Smith is John Harris. You know, Jonathan Harris. Yes. That Lost in Space movie, I walked in with my girlfriend at the time. We paid $8. We're watching it, and we just wanted to see it. And I sat there, and I went, this is not what it was when I was a kid. (laughs) And I I walked out, and then 
a couple weeks yeah, later. Yeah, budget. A couple weeks later, I went back with some friends, and when Doctor Smith came on, I started doing Doctor Smith. Oh dear, oh dear, Will, Will, take it away, take it away, dear boy. And <laughs> they were all. Come here, young William. Oh, who's this imposter guy? Speaking of Conan, that movie could have used some serious use of Dion Cole, maybe even the Interrupter. Well, hello. I thought it was on Conan's show. I am (laughs) the Interrupter. Oh God, I wanted to. I think I paused that movie multiple times. It's like okay. I'm waiting for the next robot action scene to happen. Why is this weird-looking alien that wasn't even on the show in this fucking movie? Um, because the character asked for too much money. Destroy. Crush. Oh. Kill. Destroy. Crush. Kill. Destroy, my boy. Um, yeah, he's... I can definitely recommend the movies Criminal and Hunter Killer, but I didn't include yeah. him on the list because I do not think... There, there are literally nothing rolls for him. He just walks on, gets paid, says his lines well. It's kind of how I was with Tinker Taylor, where it's just like, okay, like or hate the movie, he's doing his job, but it, it, it's a kind of movie which is all determined on whether you even like it to begin with. So, um, no points for him. Nothing against him. Nothing personal. <laughs> uh, I, John and I both saw the movie The Courier. It was kind of one of those that kind of barely got to the finish line. And he has just the goofiest looking eye patch. Once again, having an eye patch. Yeah. And he he looked like they filmed his scenes all in just against a green screen. <laughs> On about a day or two, pretty much. A day or two. It's like he's the main dude. Um he's in this very stupid running man saw battle royale type knockoff movie called Killers Anonymous. And it's another movie where he looks very confused. It looked like someone took a screenshot of his Lee Harvey Oswald and then just didn't tell him to do anything else. <laughs> Have him grow a beard. <laughs> He's right. also in that really awful movie with Liam Hemsworth called Paranoia. Yeah, I keep forgetting he's in it, honestly. For the ladies here, it's the one where Harrison Ford is bald. Not a set you want to see. Yeah. <laughs> that was just torture. <laughs> An Air Force One reunion, and not in a good way. <laughs> I directed Lily Blonde, so. Oh, yeah. Well. He was in Legally Blonde? No, no, it's by the director. Oh. I do not remember him at all. <laughs> <laughs> that would be funny. Uh, but, no, he, he was hurt. dressed as, as a sorority girl. You just didn't recognize him. <laughs> Right. <laughs> so tell us about the episode of Friends on Silver Comedy Fair. I I know he was on it. I don't think I ever saw that episode. Is he? Yeah, there's an episode. You know, Joey uh, in the show is an actor, or he's a struggling actor of some sort, and he's doing a movie, and he's like a soldier, and Gary Oldman is playing opposite him in this movie. I don't remember what the character's name is, but he's this. Well, it's the Spitter is what they call him. Because when he is delivering his lines, like not all the time, but when he's delivering his lines in the movie, he's spitting all over everybody, like <laughs> over enunciating and spit flying everywhere. I think Joey finally confronts him. He's like, no, no, that's how you, that's how you do it. You put the passion into it and it, it plays on the screen and it's amazing. And you're like, uh, okay. 
so he convinces Joey to do it as well. And I think this is where Monica and Chandler were getting married, and he's like going to do their wedding, and he's spitting all over everybody. Oh, yeah. Both of them are spitting back and forth at each other, and it's awesome. <laughs> I, I it's like so, so pre-COVID times, because now I watch it, I'm like, oh god. Oh. <laughs> I would imagine Joey knows everything about acting, given how, I mean, he was originally supposed to be Pacino's ass double, so. Yeah. Anyone remember that episode? <laughs> you know, clearly he learned all of the ropes. Yep. As you do. In the ass. You know what? That's that's a fun resume right there. Al Pacino's ass. <laughs> yeah. IMDb. It'd be instantly. I'm going to put that on my uh, LinkedIn and just see if it draws any professional interest. <laughs> but it will be Al Pacino's ass because that'll be hilarious. <laughs> She got a great ass. Yeah. Oh, imagine if he had been in heat. That would have been a, such a different movie. Oh my god. You would not get away from me. <laughs> Oakley, Oakley. <laughs> I would. I would pay to watch that. I really would. Oh god. Kind of hilarious. Recasting movies is always fun. They should totally do a deep fake of yeah, old men in, in heat, and then yeah, just have them actually sync it up, just utter lights from movies like Air Force One and Dracula. Right. I've been proceeding <laughs> after this man. <laughs> oh God, this has always been lovely. So, listen, Heather, where the hell can we find nerdy bitches on all the podcast formats? You can find us on all the podcast formats at Nerdy Bitches Podcast. You can find us on Twitter at Nerdy Bitches Pod. You can find us on Facebook and Instagram at Nerdy Bitches. And uh, we have a website as well, nerdybitches.com. We are all over the place. So, yeah, we're around. We also, since we do a book club as part of our ongoing episodes, and we've been doing this for several years, Actually, I think we started from the beginning with the book club and we have a, a special group for that on Facebook. So if anybody's interested, like hanging out with us and talking books, we have a, a group on Facebook. So it's fantastic. Yeah, I'll add these guys, whoever wants them into the uh, Facebook group for sure. Yeah. Yep. So. Well, cool. That's that's where you find us. And we just sit around and talk about nerdy stuff and sometimes lady stuff. And, you know, we like to we, we find that we actually have probably more male listeners than female, which we didn't expect going in. And I think they enjoy the the kind of peek behind the curtain. So yeah. Right. <laughs> and make sure to turn tune in in April for Keanu Weeks where we Yeah. Whoa. Yeah. <laughs> it's gonna be uh I believe week one. So Speed. Yeah, it's gonna be awesome. What I need. <laughs> Already. I do think we may need more than four weeks for Keanu. <laughs> yeah. Well, when John Wick 5 comes out, then we'll do like two, if three, four, five. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was going to say, if it ever comes out. 1,000 yeah, through 5,000. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, uh, definitely check out uh, their recent takedown of Lord of the Rings franchise, guys. It's been a lot of fun how they, they, they simplify it more than even any of the best cliff note books have ever done. <laughs> uh, we uh, we did an entire month called Hobbit Month back in September. We do yes. uh, we do theme months for our birthdays in April and September, and uh, we we did the book club of the Hobbit proper. <laughs> and my my friend Sarah was on the show with us. She used to be an English teacher, and she brought on her high school English teacher who actually right? wow. an entire wow. course 
on oh, like sci-fi and fantasy and like his whole course is surrounded by the hobbit and so he came on the show and just blew all of our minds and we're like oh wow i mm, i've read that book 47 times and i never yeah. got any of this so. right the homework was so done but just the parallels were great and yeah I mean, so many people ended up reading it and it was just funny seeing you guys recount what so many experiences like we we saw the cartoons all that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Oh, yeah. I grew up with the cartoon, for sure. Like, 1977 Rankin Bass. Huge the, fan. At the library, you would tell your mom <laughs> yeah. to check out. <laughs> yeah, my mom check it out at the library for us, along with Watership Down, which is horrifying. You oh, should watch that one. No, <laughs> say that. Don't like say that. Like, the worst. Oh, my God. I was like, why are they showing this to children? It's terrible. Right. <laughs> it's just a parallel. No, it's not just a parallel. It's not. It's a lot of blood and claws. I'm just saying. Oh. Come on, you crap playing slave driver. God. <laughs> oh, Tom. What, what wacky types of photos are you posting next? Well, um, I usually go to Rift Picks and have a little fun there. I'm also a part of uh, Deep 13, just a Facebook group for that. On top of that, I belong to a couple of uh, great little niche uh, sci-fi and and uh, horror groups. Um, so uh, by all means, um, if you if you can see me on Facebook, I can hook you up with a, with a few good recommendations. Sure, for sure. Uh, JJ, what you got in the can? Uh, nothing in the can yet, but I'm still running the late, late, late show retro movie and TV Facebook page. Um, I just put a happy birthday up to everybody's favorite uncle, Uncle Charlie uh, William Demarest, who was born in 1905. So Woo. I might be putting on something for my three sons. And uh, I'm probably going to. The one thing I'm going to do is. Um, Probably look into the whole Arabian Nights in that stuff seventies. Damn, <laughs> pretty heavy. Because um, if you look at the page itself, there's a movie called Arabian Adventure that I think I'm the only person who ever saw that. Wow. And I do remember because Christopher Lee and Rooney was in it. <laughs> Perfect. All so, right. David German, what are you gaming now? I said Red Dead Online always, and uh, I am a contributor on the House That Screams podcast, uh, so check that out. And that is about it. Perfect. Daniel, what's the Nightmare Nerd got? Well, as always, as always uh, you know, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Uh, YouTube, I had to make some adjustments with one video I put up recently. The audio turned out to be screwed up, but it will be back up. Uh, there's more to come, trust me. Perfect. And Mark, what have you got cooking at the Action Elite? Well, I have one movie that I'm already planning on watching in three weeks when it comes out, so we'll go for my review on that one. Sure, for sure. Thank you all for being here. This was a delight. Finally have Liz and Heather back on the show. Thanks uh, for by having the way, us. By the way, uh, any chance what you guys might be reviewing next? Or is it a surprise? Uh, we actually just put out an episode yesterday uh, with our friends at Cult 45 Podcast covering Kill Bill Volume 2. I did, and, I did uh, see the promo, yeah. It's, uh, yeah. it's pretty amazing. And How's they the die time? laughing. So yeah, it's... <laughs> 
I was I was laughing my ass off while I was editing it. So. <laughs> I can't wait. Cannot wait. Alrighty, this was jolly good. Jolly good time. We'll return after these messages. Hey, feeling down? Feeling low? Not enough podcasts about movies in your life? Why not try? They must be destroyed on sight! The new podcast cure-all. Sure to get you right with the world and on a path to better living. We have exploitation, we have Italian horror, we have zombies, we have slashers, we have crime films, we have spaghetti westerns, we even have sci-fi and sex comedies. So take a dose of... They must be destroyed on sight! As needed, and let the hosts, Lee Russell, Daniel Harper, Paul Romali, and the odd guest host, cure what ails ya. Warning, may cause atrophy, African consumption, black fever, bone shave, chin puff, colic, cramp colic, Dropsy of the brain, elephantitis, grocer's itch, jaundice, mania, miasma, mortification, palsy, pox disease, rheumatism, scurvy, St. Anthony's fire, summer complaint, and worm fit in some people. Consult a physician before listening. Hey, I heard you like movies. I heard you like to hustle. I heard you like podcasts. Well, guess what? There's a podcast for you out there called The Home Video Hustle. Damn right. Every Friday, we talk about whatever movie PJ picks out the bag. What does that mean? Every Wednesday on our YouTube page, I put a bunch of movies in a bag, and PJ picks one out at random. And then we just watch it. We talk about it for maybe like an hour, hour and a half, two hours. Whatever we feel like doing, wherever the conversation leads us. But do we actually talk about the movie? Most of the time. Ah. Tangents galore. Yes. So believe me, we may be a movie podcast, but it's not always about movies. We might talk about video games. Mm-hmm. Music. music. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's the big one, music. Uh, sometimes we might get a little bit of politicalness in there. Yes. Sometimes we may just, oh, we know what we like to do. We like to tell stories, PJ. Ah, yes. I am the master storyteller <laughs> yes. of the podcast realm. <laughs> Undefeated. So if you like to hear about movies, video games, whatever foolishness comes to our mind, the most random stuff you can think of, check out the Home Video Hustle. You can find us on the Stitchers, yes. the Google Play, yes. Apple Podcasts, what else? Podbean, what else? Podcast Addict, goddamn, all that. Ain't no reason you can't get your hustle on. We everywhere, worldwide, baby. Hustle, motherfucking hustle. Hey, we can't cuss in the promo, PJ. Ah, we gotta be family friendly. There may be podcasts out there that don't want us here to say, ah, yeah, ah. ah. all that good fun stuff. <laughs> well. <laughs> you <laughs> don't, don't run the listeners away PJ. Ah, i'm sorry but this is going kind of long yes so we'll end this and say hey check out the home video hustle every friday on all the various podcast outlets peace peace as far back as i can remember i always wanted to be a gangster And while Witch didn't make it to the top of the world, he did make the Gangs of Hollywood podcast. So join the gang and enjoy a movie review podcast about movie gangs, gangsters, mobsters, and the mayhem they cause. You can find GOH Podcast on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at GOHpod at www.gohpod.com as well as your favorite podcast listening app. And remember, say hello to your little friend for me.
can take two old punk rockers who are past their prime, put them in front of a movie screen, and give them a podcast, and what do you get? Cinema punks. Cinepunks. It's the mixtape of movies. Did you ever see a film at such a young age it left you traumatized with cinematic wounds? Oh, necrophilia. It's a dead issue, man. Don't don't push it. Cinema PsyOps is a weekly podcast documenting an ongoing experiment on the mind of an unwilling test subject. No one should have to watch this movie. Oh, no one should have to watch this. No one should have to watch this movie. Surprisingly, it's not a topic that a lot of people really want to tackle. I'm shocked, crude. I know, really. Right? It's the next sexual frontier that no one wants to explore. I am, in the most sincerest of senses, disappointed in you. It takes a powerful goddess like Connie, jam her arm down the monster's throat and kill it. Oh, I'm still tripping out over that. Even as a kid, I was like, I gotta find a girl like that. Every week, I, I get a new look of disappointment that I never thought I could get it's out of here. unimaginable. At 12 years old, you should not be watching this movie. Obviously. At 13, you should not be. 14, you shouldn't be. I'm not entirely sure even 17-year-olds should be watching this movie. Just because you're offended by something doesn't mean that you have the right to demand that it doesn't exist. Watching this film again, I had all of this, like, little nerd glee with everything that kept Little history up. doll yeah, popping up absolutely. at you. So I totally loved this film. Hey, I know why you, you know, couldn't see that. It's because your brain's warped watching this shit at 12 years old. Yeah, this is this is a rough movie. I told you ahead of time when we were getting ready to do it that it was How did you watch movie. this shit at 12? Because physical wounds heal, cinematic ones don't. Listen to Cinema Psyops. Hey everybody, I'm Corey. And I'm Zach. And we're the hosts of Podcasting After Dark, a cast dedicated to late night horror and sci-fi of the 80s and 90s, often found on HBO and Cinemax. You know, the movies your parents didn't want you watching as a kid. You can find us every other week on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Podbean, and Stitcher. This is what you want. This is what you get. It's late, it's tight, let's check our cue, baby Pair it with a couple brews, baby We love good movies, we love the bad ones too So we watch them all and pass their lessons on to you Oh yeah Everything I learned from movies Helps to make life a little bit groovy With a one-life plot holes like gratuitous movies It's time to get busy With your friend Steven Izzy Welcome to Who Was She Podcast. I am your host, Tara Jabari. After a decade working in documentaries, marketing, and all things digital media, I found that podcasting is a strong medium to share stories. After years of producing for others, I decided to start my own biographical podcast. Who Was She will focus on the life of a woman throughout Baha'i history. The first season is about Lydia Zeminoff. Lydia's story explores the subjects of the power of language and faith, 
Her father invented the universal language Esperanto, and she came from a Jewish family and became a Baha'i. She grew up during World War I and was killed during World War II in a concentration camp, despite heroic efforts to save her life. How can one person's life intersect with so many others, connect across borders, and inspire a biography which inspired this podcast? Over the next few weeks, I will share her story with you and the lives that were most affected by her and those who affected her life as well. They include her father, Ludwig Semenov, her spiritual mother, American journalist Martha Root, and the Baha'i German soldier Fritz Mako, who worked for the resistance undercover while having to serve the Nazi party. I want to thank the author Wendy Heller and George Ronald Publishing for their blessing to let me use Heller's biography, Lydia, The Life of Lydia Zemanoff, Daughter of Esperanto, as a main and instrumental resource for this podcast. So please subscribe and learn about this amazing woman who traveled through three continents in an effort to bring unity through the power of language. You can also find more information on our Instagram, Facebook, and Pinterest at Who Was She Podcast. Music was composed and performed by Sam Red. I am your host, Tara Jabari. Join us next time as we begin our journey about Lydia Zemanoff. Hi, everybody. It's Mac Jackson. I wanted to invite you to a new site called the Forever Adventure Network. This website has everything. Pictures, videos, blogs. There's original music by Harmony Constant. Two podcasts. One is the MacGyver podcast, where we celebrate Richard Dean Anderson, his iconic roles, and how it's influenced our lives. There's episode discussions, interviews, and life conversations. The second podcast is the Never Gets Old podcast, where we celebrate all the best things that we love in life, from TV, movies, music, and comics. The site is also the home for the MacGyver SG-1 audio series, an ongoing adventure series that continues the adventures of MacGyver and SG-1. There are also multiple stores to choose from for all of your pop culture and adventure needs. Come on by and check us out today. And thanks for joining the adventure. Are you sick of the same old stale podcasts? Well, then join Vanessa and Darren as they dissect movies of all kinds. The two lifelong cinema lovers bring their favorites, curiosities, and first-time watches to the operating table and inject them with a healthy dose of snark. Then there's the waiting room where they examine books and short stories. So just look for them on Apple Podcasts and where fine podcasts are available. They're part of the Legion Podcast Network. Follow them on Twitter at VD Clinic Pod. Join them on Facebook at facebook.com slash groups slash VD Clinic Pod. Or email them 
at vdclinicpod at gmail.com. They're ready to cure what ails you. <laughs> and still, they just might be a little contagious. We now continue with our program. Follow us on the web on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. The podcast is available on Podbean, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Anchor, Apple, and anywhere else podcasts are available. Feel free to review our show and leave comments on any of those sites. Thanks a million for listening. It's a jacked up.